Hey everyone, thanks for joining. Today I'll be speaking with Adam Ponder. He is the co-founder and CEO of Alta Trust. Thought for the day? If you look at the Forbes 400 and you take out people that inherited their money, 100% of those people made their wealth through private investments. The action for the day is to go out and demand to see what is available to you. Whether it be through your financial advisor, your own individual networks, whatever it may be, take a look at what opportunities are out there for you. Quick disclaimer, you do need to be an accredited investor, which means you have to have over a million dollars in net worth. But if that's you, this is an absolutely fundamental part of investing that you should be participating in. Thanks, Adam, for joining us. I uh, really appreciate you making the time to talk through some of these things with us. Um, can you just start us off by telling us a little bit about you know, yourself, your company, maybe a little bit about your background and, your, and what your company's expertise is? Sure. Uh, I started out uh, right out of college in the financial services industry, was an advisor, actually with my dad. And we did retirement, we did wealth, and ultimately started doing some private investments for some of our clients who wanted something uncorrelated and different. Um, that was good and bad. The first one was not that great. We learned a lot. And then from there, it got a lot better. And, uh, you know, long story short, we sold our RIA and started Alta Trust Company. And Alta Trust was really born out of trying to help financial advisors, um, have a trust company that's safe and entrepreneurial and willing to work with advisors in a way that, you know, they, they needed to be worked with. And so one of the things that we've been doing for advisors is helping them leverage our experience and our expertise in private investments and helping them create private investments themselves that they can offer to their clients. Super. So you, you clearly bifurcated kind of that the, the public markets and then your clients need or desire for private investments. Can you just take me through why that's important to you? Like why people would even want a private investment and yeah, we'll just start from there and we'll discuss what a private investment is after the fact. Yeah. Well, I, not everyone wants a private investment usually, and really they need to be accredited investors to even offer it to them, uh, to your clients. But what, what most advisors either know intuitively or no, because they're told by their clients is that their wealthier clients demand more than just public investments. So you, as an advisor, you need to be able to add value and anyone can go buy the Vanguard 500 ETF or mutual fund, you know, advisors typically add value by creating allocations across those types of investments. And that's good. But the average client is not going to care if you have 5% allocated to emerging markets and someone else has three, you know, no one cares about that. And so how do you add value to people that made their money in real estate or private equity? I mean, you give them what they want 
and you give them something interesting. I mean, most of these people, particularly the very wealthy, they want more money. That's great. But they also have other motives too. They want to connect with their investments. They want to know what they're investing in. They're naturally curious, smart people that, that want to know what's going on. And they want to do something that's good, like impacting invest, impact investing is a, is a big deal lately. And, and so investment advisors really have an opportunity to give all of that and more to their clients. I mean, I, I use an example sometimes, you know, let's say you have a client and they sell their business, they exit for $20 million and, um, you know, the advisor in most cases will take that $20 million, assuming the client doesn't say anything and they'll just plow that into the stock market. Well, I think that a better use of that money is to put part of the money into the stock market. I'm not anti-stock market by any means. I think it's a good thing. But they just made a lot of money in private equity. So why not take some of the money and allocate it back to private equity? They get it. They're smart. They understand it. They've been successful in it. They're going to like that. Why not put some of it into private real estate? Uh, what, what tends to happen in private investments, and there's, all, there's a whole spectrum of private investments, but what, what can happen often is there's, there's a little bit more of an edge there's a little bit more control that can be gained with the private investments that you just don't have. Like if you invest in Amazon, you can't call Jeff Bezos and, you know, give him your best advice or tell, or, and maybe you don't want to, you know, you get a guy like that running the company, but you're, you're out of the loop. You're just kind of along for the ride. But with private investments, you have an opportunity in, in some cases to really, influence the investment and a lot of these folks like that idea that they can not to run the everything but that they can have some influence right so i love the you so you mentioned and i want to parse out when when people hear private investments like you said this this business owner that just sold his company for 20 million dollars he is in you know in in effect a private equity owner because his business is private and that's he's got equity in it so there is this spectrum that I think a lot of times people will say, well, I have a private investment. It's, it's private equity. It's a late stage company. Like, and, I, and we would talk before, you know, I own Tesla. That's, that's public. You know, Elon Musk had that. He's the CEO of that. And then SpaceX, that's a private. And those are kind of the spectrums of people think, can you take me through when, cause you do these all the time when people say, I want to start, I want to invest privately or I want to have a private investment. Take me through maybe, I don't know, three to seven different, iterations of what that means to you so people can kind of get a flavor of what you're talking about? Yeah. So I mean, private can, I mean, when I say private, it's a very general term. It's not listed on a public exchange, not publicly available. So that can mean a lot of things. It could be, um, you know, your buddy who's got a brand new startup company, he's working out of his garage and, and, you know, needs (laughs) $10,000, you know, that, that, it is more what we'd refer to as venture capital, something early, and that's early stage venture capital. Um, and then you have mid-stage, late-stage venture capital too. And, and venture is typically where you're taking a minority stake in a company. They probably don't, depending on the stage, don't have earnings or much in the way of earnings. It's a little bit riskier. 
Um, you're investing in the idea and the team that can bring that idea to pass. Then you have, you know, the original, you know, kind of common, commonly thought of uh, private equity, and that is a private company um, making money, very profitable, um, but maybe they're a local or regional company or something like that, and then you get a a private equity fund or firm that comes in and and buys, you know, the more traditional version is they'll buy up, you know, 10 or 20 of these, you know, mom and pop companies or local regional companies, depending on the sizes, and they'll roll them up into like one. Like the movie Wall Street. There you go. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, you know, so it's a, it's a buyout fund or a roll-up fund, depending on how they call it. Then you can take that to another level and make it a leverage buyout fund and, and <clears throat> use leverage to to help scale things even further. So um, I, I kind of think of it in terms of, you know, the venture capital, super early stuff, all the way to, you know, a pri- you know, large private companies. I mean, some of these companies are very large private companies, very good cash flows, very profitable, but still not, not public. So you, you mentioned something else, which I think it's a really good, you know, look at the spectrum and I know real estate falls in there as well because they can have their own you know want to invest in a building multiple buildings but you also mentioned the idea of having more control which I think is is very interesting as a concept for an investment because a lot of times people think of these things as passive you know like we're just going to kind of let whatever happens you know Netflix has great earnings we're along for the ride they have bad earnings you know I should have sold it we're along for the ride it's a very passive thing Take me through what it means to have a little bit more control on these things and, and how that can actually benefit the investor. Yeah, well, I think this is a real opportunity for advisors, particularly advisors that want to uh, really go to bat for their clients. Um, I mean, for instance, uh, we did a, when we were an advisor, we did a oil and gas deal and we did it up in, uh, the Bakken. I don't know if you remember that whole deal, the the whole uh, energy craze, but they, things were really going crazy there. And, and we actually would take minority stakes in some different uh, mineral rights and investments up there. And um, it was interesting because we had we had influence with the bigger players, who you know the uh, forgetting some of their names now, but you know the the BPs and the Exxons and so forth that had investments there. But uh, we actually were able to opt in and out of certain arrangements based on what we thought was best for our clients. So we could buy into this piece of land. Um, Exxon might have owned the majority of it, but we were able to make some tactical decisions. Um, Exxon would say, hey, we're going to do X and you can come along with this or you can opt out and there are pros and cons to both. Uh, but based on what we thought was best for our investors, we would make those decisions instead of just being totally along for the ride and at their mercy. Um, we didn't, we didn't have to do that. We actually had some control. Um, another example would be, you know, if you invest in some sort of venture capital deal, you know, you're going to have an influence. They're early. They probably need a little help. Um, and, and so you're going to have influence and probably network and make connections and help accelerate that company. Um, 
in a, in a way that you could not otherwise affect like a large company. And to be fair, like you're talking about when you talk about affecting change and doing these things, this is if you have an expertise in that area, right? So you're, you're talking about like if, if you know the oil and gas, or maybe they're relying on the advisor, the, the advisor has the expertise or somebody that's on, you know, the board or someone that you know, you have the ability to have influence based on the knowledge that you have if you're investing in that area. And yeah, uh, yeah. And you, but I think even if advisors don't have knowledge in a specific area, you can always hire that knowledge. You can always hire. And also you, you, you probably, if you're an advisor, you probably have clients who have some of that knowledge too. Maybe are really great at real estate or know the local real estate market or, you know, so there's a lot of ways to source that knowledge. Um, that, and it actually ends up being, you know, someone you really trust anyway. And I, I have this uh, friend of mine. She, she's done very well for herself. She has a staffing or she's set up and sold several staffing companies. And I was talking to her a little while ago and she was telling me she was going to set up another one. Um, and I said, oh, that's great. And I said, I said, just out of curiosity, how long before you think you're profitable? Like you've done this several times. What's it going to take? And she, she laughed and she's like, well, I wouldn't start it if I wasn't going to be profitable immediately. And I said, really? You could be profitable? She's like, Adam, I have everything lined up. I already know all the players. I have clients lined up. I know who's going to run the company. She's like, It'll, you know, it's all set. And I, said, I told her, I said, you know how many people would love to invest in a company that's going to make money day one? Um, I said, do you want investments? Because I, I think there'd be a lot of people would like that. Whereas, you know, someone like me, if I were to start a staffing company, that's probably going to take me three to five years to figure things out because I don't know staffing. You don't want me managing your staffing company. You want someone like her. And, and I think we can source expertise in lots of different ways. And, and we're just, unfortunately, as advisors, not very open-minded or creative enough to, to think that we could even do those kinds of Right. I think it's a really, it makes, it starts to make investing a lot more fun. I think if someone's listening and they've gotten to, you know, whatever we're at minute 13 and they're listening through things and like, man, like I, I can create that. Like I know biotech or I know whatever staffing agencies, I could put that together. How hard is it to actually, you know, and then somebody can help with the capital. You kind of put a little mini board together. How hard is it to set one of these things up? Well, I mean, there's a few barriers to entry. First of all, the cost. So it, it tends to be, you know, about a hundred, hundred thousand plus just for the legal work. Um, and, and then you kind of, it, it's, you don't know what you don't know. Like I said, the first one that we did, we had the legal part, but we didn't know what we were doing <laughs> on the, some of the other things kind of tripped us up and it, um, you know, we learned our lessons is a little painful, but, um, there's a few of those types of things that, you can avoid with a little bit of help. And, that, and that's really what we do. We we cut the setup fees way down, time to market way down, um, kind of keep everyone safe from being a, you know, shooting themselves in the foot with our, with consulting. So it's, it's really not that hard to do. It's much more accessible than it's ever been. And I mean, we see that there's lots of, VC companies, we watch Shark Tank, you know, there's people 
doing it anyway. Um, but, but yeah, in terms of setting up a fund and basically becoming a shark yourself and being able to go invest in other companies and source them and screen them and manage them. I mean, it, it's actually not that expensive and not that difficult to do anymore. Right. And I, and I, I love the idea. Well, before I get into that, I know that a lot of this is like very positive. All sounds good, easy to put together. People just aren't doing it. Someone says, I want to do this or I want to invest in it. Before we just kind of go full bore, what type of, say someone's listening, it's an investor. And they're like, I'm going to start, go look, I'm going to start looking for private funds. What types of things should they be concerned about when they go to start looking at these funds and they're vetting them themselves for opportunities? Yeah, you, you want to look at track records. You know, have they usually in private equity? You have what are called vintage funds. So you have a, you know, vintage twenty twenty fund. That means the fund, you know, took on capital in the year twenty twenty. Um, so you want to see if they have other vintages and how successful those have been in the past. Um, you want to see their audited financials, and you want to look at their team. I I actually think the team is probably the most important things we like to put together funds that are very high quality, very legitimate. Um, they don't have to be giant funds, but we, we like to make sure that the people that we're working with are reputable and good. And not that every investment has to work out perfectly, but that, you know, the team is a, a solid team that's going to do the right thing for the investor. Um, but if, so if I'm an investor, that's what I'm looking for. First and foremost is the team who's uh, doing this for me. And, and, and like you said, maybe you want to set up a fund and you want to do a real estate fund and you can maybe get some capital together, but you don't actually have an expertise in real estate, uh, but you know someone who does, then that's a great opportunity to collaborate and, and maybe put together an advisory board or a team to manage the investments. And, uh, and then the people that help set it up, would be, you know, a company like yours that can kind of put together all the, the legal framework and whatnot to make this, you know, basically prop it up and get it ready so that the, you know, the operator can run it, the people with the capital can fund it. And then, you know, hopefully the performer goes the way we think it will everyone makes money. And then, then you have that track record to your point that you can then look back at and say, yeah, we've done a couple of these in the city or wherever. And it looks good. Yeah. I think every advisor should have some sort of fund, you know, kind of, be offering something new on a regular basis. I think their clients demand that if if you're, if you, you probably don't have all your clients money, if they're very wealthy, you probably don't have all their money. If you're not offering something like this, because they're going to go do the, they're going to go make these investments with or without you. It might as well be with you. Right. So what percentage of someone's looking at this and they say, I got, I got $10 million or whatever amount of money. And they, and they decide to say, what percentage would you say is appropriate to have in some form of private investment for someone? That's hard to say because, you know, everyone's situation is different. But, um, I, and you can do it in different ways. Because you could say, well, I'll, take, I'll put $500,000 in private investments, but they're all early stage venture capital, you know. That's very risky. Um, if they pop, it's going to be great, <laughs> but you, you could also lose it all. So 
I think there's a, a range and it probably depends on the approach you're going to take. If you're going to do, you know, late stage private equity, profitable firms. I mean, that's, I, I think the risk there is very low uh, relative to, to VC. So, um, yeah, I think it depends, but I think that most wealthier individuals both want and should have uh, a healthy amount of exposure, whether that's, you know, regardless of how you do that. But I think there should be a good amount. Good. Um, one last question before we sign off. And I know this, the, the, one of the things that my clients are very, I think most people are sensitive to is cost. And they, they tend to look at like, well, what's the cost that my advisor is charging or what's the cost of this investment? When I look at private investments, one of the main benefits I see is the fact that you get closer to the investment and you cut out all the middleman costs. So to your example of the oil deal, not only do you regain some control and you get to kind of parse out and be like, I want to invest in, in this one. I like this. I don't necessarily want to invest in all of it. What, what amount do you see kind of like of all the middlemen kind of cut out in some of these deals? When you get to go directly to the source with private investments, you get control, but do you see a lot of the cost fall off for an investor as well? Well, you can for sure. Or other, in other cases, some, some managers will do like a fund of funds. Some investment advisors, they'll invest in other funds. But even there, you know, usually they have a little bit of scale and they can negotiate those management fees. So I think whether it's a fund of funds or a direct investment like you're talking about, I think in either case you gain efficiencies. Uh, no question. Then it, yeah, and some some deals you just can't even invest in on your own. You know, there might be a five million or ten million dollar minimum, and and so if you can put together a fund that maybe has a five hundred thousand dollar minimum and pools everyone together, you're making it more accessible, and 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 that those are typically fairly cost effective funds anyway. So you got access, you got lower cost, you got you know, a little bit more involvement, which if, you know, coupled with expertise can get you better returns. Um, I don't see a reason why people wouldn't be investing in these types of investments. You know, again, not for potentially everything in your portfolio, but for at least a piece of it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why either. And only, I think it's uh, 14% of investment advisors recommend these types of investments only 2% actually create them themselves. Um, I think there's a huge missed opportunity right now. I agree with you. And just as we go out, give me the statistic of, I love this, Forbes 400, the number of people that are on that list from you know public investments versus private investments. <laughs> yeah, so 100% uh, of the people that are on that list, if you take out the inherited folks, uh, the folks that inherited their money. I didn't do the research. I, they probably all got it from private too, but yeah, 100% of them got, got their money from the private markets. Uh, and I think about 30% was real estate and the rest was private equity of those. But, but yeah, 98%, 98 of the 400 inherited their money, the remaining 302, all private. It's worth a look. Worst case scenario, I think it's worth a look for people to take a peek I think you've done a really good job parsing out what it is, how people can get involved, what some of maybe the things they need to look at are. But really the limits, my hope is in these last you know 20 minutes, people can see the limits on it. It's not as limiting. Um, it's much more interactive. And honestly, 
their advisors should be bringing them these opportunities on a fairly regular basis because they're out there. Oh yeah. The advisors that don't, I think they're going to become obsolete because your SMA models are, are good to a point, but they're, they're not everything. And so I think, I think an advisor needs to have a comprehensive offering and, and those that do, I think will, will be rewarded. Excellent. Well, Adam, thank you very much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Some good info and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Eric. Thank you.